0: Hello and welcome back to Old Sport Podcast. It's fair to say there's a fair bit to unpack this week from T20 World Cup boil overs to the return of the Messiah to the Saints and much, much more. But before that, Ben and I are joined by the man of the moment, Hugo Carson, fresh off grand final glory in the Wednesday night social netball competition. Hugo, first of all, big congratulations on behalf of the podcast and all the podcast listeners. I will speak on behalf of them. Can you please give us a rundown of tonight's game?
1: Yeah, it was uh, the best game all year for us, to be honest, as in the closest game. We only won by 12 points, I think, in the end. Um, <laughs> no, it was, it was a tight contest for the first three quarters and then ended up blowing them out. I think it was the fitness of our side that really got us over the line there. Um, no, it was good to get the win. Our back-to-back premierships is always nice. Can't take any premiership for granted. Never know what's going to happen next semester.
0: And, yeah, um, yeah, going up next semester I hear. Yeah,
1: hopefully going into a competition that's graded so we won't come up against first-timers as, as much. We've now been playing for a year and a half, so you're at a natural advantage when you've got blokes who know and understand the game, um, <laughs> which is basically half the thing with mixed netball.
2: Always helps to know the rules of the game you're playing, just those basic advantages. Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, you can't travel with the ball and, and dribble it, pass it inside the D. You know, those type of things help.
2: Amazing little crash course for the listeners there. That's good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we we may as well keep it rolling on the netball theme because it was a hot topic in the world of sports this week. And first of all, despite Tying the series 2-2, uh, Australia won this year's edition of the Constellation Cup on goal, dist- goal difference Sorry, against New Zealand. And then today, earlier today, the Diamonds got a great win, 55-54 over England, courtesy of a buzzer-beating goal from debutante Danelle Wallum. If you can call it a buzzer-beater in netball, I'm not too sure. <laughs> um, but that is a great result after what's been an incredibly turbulent week for both... The diamonds and for Ms Wollum herself, so really good to put all that external chatter to bed with such a fantastic victory. AFLW round nine action is in the book. Uh, in the book, sorry, on Friday night it was the Crows by two points over the Cats. The Suns quite comfortably by twenty-seven over the Blues. Kangas got up by thirty-two over Collingwood. Dockers by fourteen over Sydney away. Bulldogs by 32 over the Eagles and Lions very comfortably, 54-point victors over the Hawks. Then we had the Mighty Saints back on the winner's list by two points over Port Adelaide, arguably game of the round. Uh, Richmond by 43 points over the Giants and the Demons continued with their dominant run. They were 41-point victors over the Port Don's And finally in the world of golf, Rory McIlroy won the CJ cup in South Carolina. I, uh, I forecasted last week that this would be played in South Korea. I did get myself confused there. It was played in South Carolina. <laughs> this event has previously been played in South Korea. So it wasn't, you know, as obvious, a, a longitudinal mistake as you might think. Anyway, he's now catapulted himself to number one golfer in the world. So huge congratulations to Rory from the podcast. Hugo, over to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's get into it. In the Formula One, Max Verstappen claimed the US Grand Prix as Red Bull secured the Constructors' Champion just a week after Verstappen claimed the Drivers' Championship. Hamilton finished an impressive race in second place ahead of Charles Leclerc in third, while Aussie Daniel Ricciardo struggled all weekend. In the Major League Baseball, the Yankees got swept by the Astros in a very disappointing um, American League Championship Series, meaning the Astros progressed through to the World Series. Uh, Elsewhere, the Phillies gentlemen swept the Padres 4-1, meaning an Astros-Phillies World Series, which the Astros will go in as heavy favourites, although the Phillies have been underdogs the whole way through. So an exciting series nonetheless. In the NFL, Tom Brady's recent struggles continued as the Buccaneers fell to the Panthers. Elsewhere, the Jets continued their strong start of the season, defeating the struggling Broncos, whilst the Patriots appeared to have moved moved past their previous quarterback, Mac Jones, onto the even younger Billy Zappi as the future quarterback, following a loss to the Bears. Hamish, what about the Premier League? A couple of big results.
0: There always is, Hugo. There are always big results in the Premier League. Um, no bigger than Nottingham Forest beating Liverpool <laughs> 1-0 at the City ground. Elsewhere, Chelsea and Man United played out a very dramatic one all draw at Stamford Bridge with both goals scored in the dying minutes. Manchester City have now closed to within two points of Arsenal at the top of the table. And the juggernaut continues to roll on with City and Chelsea both topping their respective Champions League groups earlier this morning. Juventus are out of the Champions League, though, after a 4-3 loss to Benfica and huge game for Barcelona tomorrow morning as they try their very best to make it through to the next round and all the money that is attached to that as well. Closer to home, Melbourne City beat Melbourne Victory 2-0 in the first Melbourne derby of the season, and they are now top of the table, the only perfect team through three games, although a couple of teams have only played two and have also won both of them. And finally, in the Cricket World Cup, T20 Men's World Cup in Australia. It opened on Saturday night with a very disappointing performance from the Aussie men's side, getting absolutely thumped by New Zealand uh, up north. England over in Perth beat Afghanistan. Arguably the game and the tournament, India beats Pakistan uh, in front of 90,000 people at the MCG and we'll touch on that shortly Sri Lanka beat Ireland, Australia then beat Sri Lanka, Bangladesh beat the Netherlands, South and Zimbabwe played out a rain-affected draw, New Zealand and Afghanistan also just got called off for a rain affected draw and Ireland beat England by five runs in a Duckworth Lewis affected match. So all kinds of upsets and rain affected results in rain, Australia as it's now being known, but it sets up an absolutely massive game this Friday between Australia and England in what is effectively a do or die knockout match. Um, Boys, should we go straight into the T20 world cup?
2: Absolutely. Huge stuff. Um, Sort of hard to know where to begin, but we'll cast our minds back to the SCG and what was a pretty dour outing for our Aussies in the World Cup opener got absolutely smashed by New Zealand. Boys, what did we make of the start to the World Cup in general and uh, for those two teams respectively?
0: Um, I think the overwhelming feeling was just Australia felt a bit sloppy and disjointed from the first bowl fielding was poor. Uh, There was kind of questions over which bowlers should be bowling to whom and when. And the batting just looked like it had no kind of grit or idea about exactly what they were trying to do, just some bizarre dismissals hitting it straight to fielders. Um, And New Zealand just seemed to play with this flair and energy that uh, for me Australia really lacked. Um, Obviously that turned around in the last few overs of last night's game over in Perth, but I just get the feeling the Australian team isn't quite as connected and together and, and energised as they were at the last World Cup.
2: Interesting point. It's almost as you'd think that we haven't played, you know, 500 T20s in the lead up to this. So you could know. at least be forgiven for thinking that. We might as well get on to the more recent outing against Sri Lanka because it was certainly a much better performance, certainly for a few of Australia's bigger names, Marcus Stoinis headlining there. Hugo, what did you make of that? Do you reckon that's a, an indication that we've been able to right the ship and, and set ourselves up on, on a better path?
1: Yeah, I I don't think you want to take it as we've reset. I think it's actually a dangerous performance for Australia because without Marcus Stoinis, I think Australia are honestly losing that game. Like, to concede 160 against Sri Lanka when we had them in such a better position, I think Pat Cummins' bowling really has to be, or has been and has to be under question recently. I think he went for number 46 off four in his first spell And then at the death, he went for 20 overs in the last over, which um, I thought at the time might be the death of Australia's um, uh, defence of their campaign, defence of the trophy. Um, Like, yes, Australia got over the line in 16.3 at the end and Stonis' innings was immaculate. But, I mean, how many times are you taking uh, what Indu Hasaranga for... 53 off three overs he's never gone for 50 off four overs and now he's gone to 53 off three the striking power from him and also Maxwell to the spinners was amazing I think Sri Lanka missed a trick not bowling their quicker bowlers more because they were comp- all over Finch Maxwell and then Stoinis took them um, at the end but I really think it was a danger game for Australia and they came out with the win, but the bowling really is questionable um, at the death, especially Starks bowling a lot more in the middle orders. Zampa's a big loss, um, although Agar did bowl well. If he if Zampa stays ill for the rest of the tournament, which there is a chance, um, that's a big loss. So I, I, I think it's a dangerous one to take too much from and Australia really needs to go into the next game thinking that, you know they've got to play their best cricket to to progress through the tournament.
2: Yeah, that's very good analysis. Um, I am cognizant that we've got an international listenership, so we'll move on to some of the yeah. other teams. But just the last one on the Aussies, Hame, um, Finchie, he. <laughs> I was gonna say had what thirty one not off forty two balls, I think. So he's striking at at about eighty. Uh, but cheers. Yeah, he looked frustrated. He looked like a man that was completely out of touch. What What do we do there?
0: Well, I loved his comment after the game. These are his words. Uh, My innings was unusual. Poor. I couldn't hit the ball. Um, it's not what you want to hear. He also missed like a couple of absolute dollies in the field and just went through his legs for four. I honestly don't think he can see the ball anymore. Um, and he's at an age where your eyes would start to go, but I just don't think he's picking it up like he used to. And it's just... They were just hitting that back of a length and he just had no idea how yeah. to do anything about it. He was trying to stay the leg side of the ball, but it's pretty hard on that bouncy wacker wicket. Um, they're not going to change the captain halfway through the World Cup. It's just not going to happen. So he's in there and, you know, they talk about captains making other players better and Stoinis batted very well, making 47 of the 50-run partnership that they <laughs> that they put on together. Um But yeah, I think if Australia, well, most likely don't make it out of the group, there will be a lot of questions asked around the the selection here because we've got a couple of pretty serious batters and alternate options who are waiting in the wings. Um, The one that I find interesting is not if he's going to play this anchor role, why not bat him at number four uh, and either bring in Cameron Green or move up someone from the middle order to to open and give a go in the power play?
1: Yeah. So I mentioned Carmen's bowling. There's been discussion from Mark War, who suggested it, that they drop Cummins and bring in Cam Green. So that case, you have Green opening um, with Warner, obviously, and then you have Finch at four, and then you're down a genuine bowler, but you've still got Stoinis, Green, Maxwell to cover those 10 overs, so eight overs. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that one, Ben?
2: Uh, yeah, I've, I've been pretty solid on green coming in the entire time. I don't know if you do it for Cummins. He's had a couple of bad outings, but I still think he's got a fair bit to offer. He also grasped one in the field last night. So it wasn't a good, it <laughs> wasn't a good, it hasn't been a good cup for him so far. Um, yeah, there's a bit to look at. It annoys me that we're still having these discussions now. Like, I don't know why they could couldn't have used the lead-up better to really solidify a team, play the last several warm-up games with a fixed team. Yeah. Um, they they seem to chop it around so much, right up to the 11th hour, that I just think they probably missed a trick or two there. Um, I'd be interested to know, Hamish, do you know off the top of your head what we actually have to do to, to qualify now, what it looks like for us?
0: Uh, it's a bit I'm weird. Not- it's basically a knockout against England because whoever loses that will have... Two losses, and even if New Zealand go on to lose to England, which I think is most likely because of the rain, um, that's not going to be a full loss for them. So if we if we lose to England, we can only make it through on net run rate if New Zealand also beat England, which I think is unlikely. Um, and then we need to win our games. Our
1: net run rate isn't good as well. Um, the loss again, the win against Sri Lanka was better than it could have been but it also wasn't great to concede 160 and chase down 16. Um, So looking at it now in our group, New Zealand has three points with a win and a washout. Sri Lanka on two, England two, Ireland two, us two, and Afghanistan with one. Each team's played two games. So it's open for second place. And um, if New Zealand beats England, then that's big. But basically us and England playing off is, is the big game. Yeah, it's gotcha.
0: It's as long as Sri Lanka lose to either England or New Zealand, it's back in our hands now. So we don't have to worry about other results on that runway if we win all our games. Yeah, gotcha.
2: All right, let's move on to what was truly one of the most remarkable spectacles that we've seen for quite a long time. And that was, of course, India v Pakistan in front of 93,000 at the G. Um, And boy, did the game live up to its billing. Uh, certainly the ending of it did. I'll start with you, Hugo. I don't even really know where to start, but obviously <laughs> it was, Coley was the the headline act. Um, Jared Whateley described it as the inning of an emperor, innings of an emperor. It, it's sort of something of that magnitude is, is where you need to go for that one. It was absolutely incredible to watch live.
1: Yeah. Um, it was set up for the perfect Coley innings. He loves chasing in... T twenties one day. Is it, it that is his game? Absolutely. And then and he lost batting against Pakistan. Exactly. It's set up for him. But still, you look at their position. They were gone. They'd crumbled. They'd lost it. You know, they had Pakistan's two essential batsmen out for nothing, and then they conceded a significant total, and then lost early wickets. It was gone. All momentum with Pakistan. And then Coley does what Coley did or did what Coley does (laughs) um, (laughs) and just took control of the game. And um, it was in his hands from that moment, you know, once they wrestled it back, but then even then, you know, he gets the game back in their hands and you still have to play the shots that he does. And, you know, you talk about you know driving Harris Ralph off a good length over his head for a six, 20 meters back, you know, as a slower ball, but, still the timing required from that like one of the quintessential Virat Kohli innings I think it's more significant than his previous innings because people were questioning whether he should even be in the side before the tournament and now you've got him come in and and play that that type of knock um huge for India if they'd lost that they would have been under monumental pressure going for the rest of the tournament without their best bowler and losing to Pakistan but now Pressures on Pakistan and India should really cruise through to the the, the semi final.
0: Yeah, it was um, a remarkable game, <laughs> um, and I think what the the thing the media has missed is just that Pakistan weren't aware of the the simple rules of of cricket. Um, <laughs> Shaheen and Shah just you know sees off Nawaz off the um, the the free hit bowl Kohli decides, ah, oh, the ball's running down, have a little wonder after it. Maybe I'll start a jog. Meanwhile, the, the Indian players start running, get three extra runs from that. And, you know, um, Rizwan's celebrating, like they've got a wicket. Yeah. Um, that's what so I'm is Nawa's. Sure. They're like, we've got him.
2: Because there was a wide after the free hit. Yeah. The whole last And over. then... It, they bowled him off the ball after the wide, after the no ball. So you, you can be forgiven for being a little bit unsure what was going on, but the Indians were all over it. They yeah. Well, exactly Dinesh Karthik
0: was. Kohli was, Coley was yeah. like, oh, God, I've been bowled. And then Karthik's like, let's start running. And in the end, yeah. it was different. And it had to be Ashwin, didn't it, hit the, the winning runs. Uh, also, how about the... The lead. Yeah, I was going to say, how about the the courage and... um
1: mindset just like, the vibe dude, of the man encouraged. yeah because <laughs> yeah. he, he shuffled Coley a bit to leg side and back said oh, what
2: man, to him do you reckon Coley told him
1: you know I think
2: I take middle and off enough, and if mate, you that. see it do you reckon Coley might have told him to take middle and off and if you see it you know down the leg side let it go
0: I don't reckon that's going through Kohli's head during that time. I reckon Ashwin's just Ashwin. That's doesn't amazing,
2: make it. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'd
1: forgotten about
2: the leave. That was so ballsy.
0: The whole last over was just ridiculous. Mm. Um,
1: Why is he pretty... bowling medium pace with the keeper back? Like, Baba's full tosses tactic. as well. Yeah. Like,
2: it was a terrible <sighs> last over. Really, sixteen off Kohli at the non-striker's end. To be and fair, a, a wicket yeah, off the first ball.
0: I don't, <laughs> I don't blame Noahs at all. I blame um, Harris, Ralph, and Shahin Charafridi because they had forty-eight runs to play with in the last three. And I back Barbara's arm and going, we got to bowl Nawaz at some point. But if we bowl these two and they both bowl well, yeah, maybe it's I mean, thirty like, off the last. Right, we win, yeah, you know. They both give it to ten off their overs, but they didn't. They both got pumps, um, especially those last two balls of Harris Ralph. Which yeah, they were great shots by Coley, but you know, both hip height. That's where you're wanting it at that stage if you're a batsman. Um, so I think not all the blame can be put on Nawaz um or Baba Azam um, for the, the gamble that he played. But yeah, what a remarkable game. I think there's a there's a reasonable chance they meet again in the final as well, both yeah. these teams, especially yeah, now that actually. South Africa dropped points against um, Zimbabwe. That'd be incredible.
2: All right. Uh another remarkable result earlier <laughs> today. I didn't actually watch this, so we're relying on the inside of you two, but Ireland England obviously rain affected match but not for the first time Ireland has beaten England in a world cup in Australia that is unbelievable
0: and I don't think any of us watched it um no. but for those who did <laughs> must have been scenes.
1: <laughs> I had no idea until you sent a message to the group yeah, chat Ben there you go None um, of my mates knew nothing <laughs>
2: cool that's good to see we've got our finger on the pulse here lads that's tremendous all right well onto something that we can speak to at least in abstraction and that is the rain that is being delivered uh we're we're having a lot of cricket matches cut short as hamish has dubbed it rain australia is there an issue with the scheduling what's um (laughs) why is this a talking point Hamish?
0: Uh, i'm gonna be honest i didn't put this in here but i'm happy to (laughs) i'm happy to speak to it then um this is a problem when you play a world cup in October rather than in uh, oh. January, February school holiday time, which I think would have made more sense. A lot but of there's sense, yeah. reasons around that and IPL and all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Australia, especially the, the East coast isn't necessarily renowned for particularly wet October, November. We just have the La Nina at the moment and that could have been forecast out a little while, but it is disappointing. Uh, and Ed touched on it last week. It's not what you want at a, at a tournament. I'm still confused why they don't just have like a whole lot of spare days to just yeah. like replay the games. Um, I understand like scheduling multiple games, like the flow on effect, but it's T20 cricket. You can play game two games in three days. Like that's fine. Um Do what the baseball would... does.
1: Like, you exactly. You yeah. Um, rain days and replay
0: Yeah, I can understand why it's difficult with like grounds and stuff and tickets and stuff. But like at the end of the day, these games only take a few hours to play. And if you can push them to like 11 o'clock start the following morning, I don't see why that's a worse result than just skipping the matches entirely.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's not, not ideal at all. Um, Especially when you got games, which
2: not to be disrespectful to some of the teams playing, but like for the for the bigger teams, are almost a, a guaranteed full points, and then you yeah. drop a point there for a rain affected game. It's pretty yeah. rough. Uh yeah, another, well, South th- Africa,
1: sorry. Were, Africa were ahead of Duckworth Lewis, so they needed five overs to win the game. Basically, at the time the rain came in at the third over. And at that time, they were already ahead of the Duckworth-Lewis for the fifth over. So why can't they take a win there? So the Duckworth-Lewis required was less Uh, in the fifth over than what they were on now. I get, you know, we could change that, but like that's a guaranteed win against Zimbabwe and they've been robbed a point and could cost them a trip to the semifinals.
2: You know who would be a great guest? (laughs) Duckworth-Lewis, if we could get him on. T-jur, a, a they re, huge coup because he'd have the answer i reckon a uh, couple more dot points to get through on the on the cricketing side of things uh, i've got here hamish crowds and ticket prices what's going on there
0: well i don't know where sydney siders were on uh, on saturday but it was billed as a sellout and there definitely wasn't five thousand people there it was in the 30s which for a saturday afternoon um, i know there was a bit of rain around it's pretty disappointing whereas i think now, last night in Perth, we had thirty thousand go to watch um, Australia and Sri Lanka on a Tuesday night at a game that started seven PM, which I'll touch on later. But I think it's just seeing ridiculous schedule. <laughs> touch on it now man. for well for so many reasons. Um, no, I'm going to touch on it later. So I'm going to I'm going to save it for then, but um, for TV and the crowd. But the minute the cheapest ticket to go to Perth yesterday, sixty dollars, and that's up in the heavens. Which the it's important to say, Cricket Australia doesn't do the scheduling or the ticket prices. It's all the ICC, um, and I understand this is a big uh, money spinner for them. But even so, you have to be putting the fans' interests and the interests of kids and stuff you're marketing it to, somewhat at the forefront of your thinking. I think
1: it's yeah. ridiculous because you get like T20 isn't a game for Australians that is like I I get if you're doing this tournament elsewhere maybe but in Australia it's a game you go with the family like oh T20 is on there's a double header this Friday night Australia plays England and then before that Afghanistan Ireland I think and oh you know 30 40 bucks yeah let's let's go the minimum ticket on Friday night for Australia against England is a hundred dollars which is just absurd like that's cutting out. I think half the audience. Honestly, like there's just not the demand for that for cricket and T Twenty cricket in Australia. And I think the ICC has made an absolute, a, a ghastly mistake in in that. <laughs> like it's it's shocking. I, I cannot believe that the economics behind it. I love that. I love that.
2: I agree as well. And I think when you see a game like India Pakistan. The spectacle that was and the the crowd atmosphere only added to even the TV product. The TV products might yeah. better when you can see a full crowd. No doubt about it. Last thing. Um, big one, this one. Ball tampering, ball tampering revelations. This is the sort of beast that never seems to go away. First it was Faf and there was Tim Payne. Hamish, do you want to walk us through this one?
0: Yeah. So both Faf and Tim Payne have books coming out and they thought, you know what? First week of the T20 World Cup, good time to open up some some old wounds and, you know, get get under David Warner's skin, these kinds of things. Um, Faf was kind of talking about how when the, the whole thing happened, how he felt really sorry for Steve Smith and Bancroft. Notably, no mention of Warner in his whole chapter because of the Warner Decock thing and it was all kicking off. Um, but he, he said, you know, I'd previously been found guilty of what he called nurturing the ball. Um, and he said that all teams had their different ways of, of doing it um, in the past. And he messaged, sent text to Steve Smith on the night saying, stay strong, mate, this will blow over because Smith had publicly supported him in 2016 when Faf himself was found guilty. And Steve replied saying, thanks, mate, not sure it's going to blow over, but fingers crossed. And then next day he's being marched out of the country by the South African police as if he's some criminal drug lord, um, which I still think is one of the most horrendous things to have happened. Um, Anyway, that came out from Faf and then Tim Payne has also released his book. And he's basically said, um, firstly, that no one knew about the ball tampering and everyone was shocked when Bancroft and um, Warner came up on the screen, which is interesting in and of itself. But then the most shocking revelation was that he accused South Africa of ball tampering in exactly the same series, said that he was at um, the non-strikers end the following test match after it had all gone down and he watched the mid-off um, pick the seam away at the ball, wrenching it apart with his hands, and it was shown on the big screen by the TV director, who quickly realised what they were showing, cut it off. The Australians saw it on the big screen, went to the umpire to get the footage for it, and the footage had been destroyed, um, which is some pretty heavy allegations to make uh, in any kind of book. Um. But, yeah, it is it is the beast that, that won't go away. It is interesting how Mitchell Stark, one of the great operators of swing and reverse swing in the history of the game, hasn't been able to swing a ball since <laughs> uh, Sandpaper Gate. Almost Coincidence, like. mate. Yeah, just a coincidence. Um, but, yeah, it, it will continue to lie there in wait until David Warner comes out with the nuclear codes in the 60 Minutes documentary in about eight years' time.
1: Yeah. Um, it's... Makes you wonder how much ball tampering there was for Wazimakrom was and 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 those days. Like it is no doubt a, a factor in the fact that there's no swing nowadays. You know, but it's like time. sorry if you just like step through the process of reverse swing,
2: you know, yeah. you've got a ball. It's brand new and it swings and then it gets beaten around and it stops swinging and then mm-hmm. something happens <laughs> after like several hours and it magically starts swinging again and then like anyone that has uh, some grasp of reason is going like that's got to be a fairly extraordinary thing that happens so that bit of you know leather wrapped cork to start moving side <laughs> to side again. And so, yeah, I agree. you got to wonder what on earth was happening back in the days of those famous Pakistan attacks where the ball was just hurtling around quarters when it was 18 overs old.
1: Not saying that Pakistan were the only ones doing it. I'm just saying, saying, yes, yes um, that there's no doubt there was a bit of that going around. No, I would just wouldn't want to, like, there's no doubt Australia was doing it that
0: time as well. Oh, the so, allegations but... are coming out now. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to our it Pakistani is... listeners.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it's... Um,
0: yeah oh it's a it's a funny one and it will continue to be there um (music) time to move on boys and this one is Pretty much for Ben, I think to to take the the piece here. But um, Ross, the boss, as we highlighted last week, was officially announced as St Kilda coach on Monday in a in a press conference. Um, I watched the presser. It's fair to say Ross hasn't changed at all. Every word is carefully thought out. It's always in slightly cryptic tongue, with a a hint of salt and a wry smile, um, with that that sense of confidence as well. Ben. How do you feel now a week on from the Brett Ratton sacking, the Ross appointment? Um, has he inspired you? The return of Robert Harvey, Lenny Hayes, Nick Del Santo, and potentially more club greats from that era to the club. Um, are you destined for the flag next year is what I'm really asking.
2: <laughs> Sounds like it. No, I got, like, I've spoken to a lot of Saints, over the last, Saints fans over the last week or so. Um, and I can, can genuinely say for, for whatever reason, whether it's misguided or not, The whole uh, sentiment around, first of all, the firing and then the appointment of Ross Lyon has definitely come up in a more positive light. Um, And and I really don't – none of my mates I'm speaking to, uh, Saints fans, that are are upset about it any longer. They're all pretty positive uh, with how it's all panned out, to be honest, which I suppose is a good thing. And I think – you, you were bang on about the Ross Lyon presser. So he hasn't changed at all. It's absolutely must-see TV. He speaks in code. It's phenomenal. He just speaks in sort of broken metaphors. He's great to listen to. But I think he is, and and this is what I've spoken to my mates about, probably what we're lacking, the relevance, the hard edge, um, you know, the capacity to be really firm with a team but not lose them along the way. I think he's probably the man for the job. He's shown that he's really not the nurturing type and perhaps not the guy that can uh, see through a rebuild. I'd like to think that St Kilda aren't there. We're sort of wading through this molasses of mediocrity, trying to get through, trying to cut through to some relevance. And And I think he's got a pretty unique skill set that could hopefully be able to propel us to those sort of heights. I don't think it'll be an immediate thing. And, and he's spoken at length about, getting the right team around him and making a more concerted effort to you know not not be on such a virtuoso journey uh and i hope he stays true to that word so yeah uh, overall pretty excited all all will be seen i know you've sort of cast your doubt Hamish, about bringing all the the club legends back and it is now a serious retinue of of ex-heyday players. And unfortunately, they can't lace them up and actually go out and kick it for us. And I I hope they remember
1: that. You've (laughs) you've got to come Yeah. a time machine.
0: Yeah. Nice one, Ben. Um, And just last one in the footy world, both Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan will return to their jobs uh, later next week. So um, whilst the investigations continue, which is an interesting one. Is it time to move on to our moments of the week, boys?
2: Seems like it is. Um, <laughs> I probably won't go on too much about this, but as you could probably tell, I'm fairly excited as a diehard Saints fan that Ross the boss is back. 150th year for the club. The, uh, the press release went out to members and it said, I'm back for the club's 150th year for unfinished business. So it's a, if you're in any way romantic about sport, that's quite a nice sentiment, even if it all ends in tears, which inevitably will uh, it's it's exciting to look forward to <laughs> for now.
0: I love the uh, release. They're like he's officially back and it was like a camera panning slowly up from Ross's knees up to his torso. He's just got his arms folded and he's just kind of moving his shoulders around. They won't show his face. It's just an interesting, Ross isn't probably the first man you think of when they're coming to like a physical um, panning of his, of his body and his statue for a a release, but I did enjoy it nonetheless. Um, My moment of the week came from the major league baseball and it was Bryce Harper's uh, walk off home run to, to send the Phillies to the world series um, known as a, a legacy home where he's pretty late in his career. And it's the one he's going to be remembered by the Phillies fans when absolutely nuts. They So down a run, one on base and over it goes. Um, and it makes for a, an interesting world series where you've got this, this unbeatable juggernaut in the Houston Astros against this really um, team you you couldn't have imagined would make it anywhere near the world series about a month ago. So good on Bryce and I hope they can make it at least a little bit competitive.
1: Yeah, I really, I hope so too because the story and the atmosphere around Philly is just so good. Um, Philly will go off if they win. And then there's a chance that uh, the Eagles will be in the Super Bowl or close to it as well. So some good times ahead for all Philadelphia sports fans Um, My moment of the week, Ben touched on it earlier, but it's Donnell Wallum hits buzzer beater, hitting the buzzer beater layup to sink England (laughs) in the first game of their test series uh, in her debut game, silencing the sponsorship drama, just unbelievably clutch and the scenes of the team just getting around her, getting around each other. It was a great game as well. So for it to come down to that, like, 10 seconds to go, Australia loses the ball, forces an interception, passes it in. She jukes past one, gets a layup, and within two seconds before the buzzer, it was such a good moment. And if you haven't seen it, see the, the highlights. Although from what I'm hearing, there's some pretty controversial commentary at the time saying that she cost her side millions but delivers the win, which is an interesting take in the moment. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Someone's lost the
0: job. Something. Yeah,
1: honestly, I, I reckon. Um, ben, do you have this week's fan moment of the week?
2: Yeah, I got to one. This was texted in to us from Dara, who sent that in from Lucan in, in Ireland, just a, a town just north of, of Dublin, I believe. Um, so thank you very much for, for this one, Dara. And it's, of course, Ireland beating England. He called it the greatest moment in cricket history, which I mean, for an Irishman, it probably is. For the rest of us, that's uh, probably a moot. But it was incredible. Unfortunately, none of us here actually saw it. So we'll have to take his word for it. But it's always good when you get an upset like that. And obviously, with everything that there is between those two countries, it's probably all the sweeter for Dara
0: and his mates. I've got a, a second one as well. Thanks, Dara. And this one's also from that part of the, the world or near it, if I'm from Scotland, from Jeremy. Uh, and that was Josh Addo Carr's Try in Australia's 84-0 absolute thumping in the, the Rugby League World Cup. Um, it was scored in the kind of last minute of the game. If you haven't seen it, just search up on, on Google and come up straight away. Basically, there's this amazing effort to keep the ball in play, flick through the legs from an Australian player to Car, who immediately just puts it on the boot, vaults past two Scottish defenders and dives on the ball just before it dribbles out. It's an amazing try. One of the best I've seen in, in the NRL. So thanks for sending that in team and we look forward to some more next week. Now boys Ben, I know you've been under the pump with a whole hurricane of exams. It could be easy to to lose your sense of both space and time but do you have the time for us at the moment?
2: Yeah, no, I I do. Thanks Hamish. Um, I can confirm for all listeners that it is Zimbabwe's favourite time of the week and it's of course time for Hit or Miss. (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, and it's been a huge week of sport, you know, capped off by the Cricket World Cup. We've got Major League Baseball action. The NBA's just started. But mine focuses on what we all care about most, and that is the AFL. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and mine is that Luke Beveridge is the coach under the most pressure heading into next season. Hit or miss, boys?
2: Probably a narrow miss for me. I'd say he's top three. Um I don't think he's under the most pressure. I'd say Simpson would be number one just because their their club is in a world of hurt. Um, and I think if they have another sort of one or two win, uh if West Coast have another one or two win season, then he's probably gonna be shown the door. And then I also think Mitchell at Hawthorne, uh, after like what whatever they've done this trade period, getting rid of everyone and rigging in no one. I just think they could have like such a bad season and obviously they're going through a rebuild and I could be completely wrong about this but I think again if they sort of have a a cellar dwelling one two or three win season then he he may not see it out
0: it's a hit for me um I think Matthew Nix is under pressure and I think Ken Hinckley's under pressure because it's the last year of his deal for sure um but Luke Beveridge has got to be some serious um heat on him at the moment, just because of this. It's not necessarily his fault, but their list is so good, and they yeah. they're a team that has to be making minimum minimum the second week of the finals. Um, and they haven't finished top four since he started coaching there in in 2015. Yeah, they made two grand finals and won a flag, um, which you can't argue with. But he just seems to have become quite sour in the last 12 to 18 months it really so. does yeah and when coach starts to go sour it can unravel pretty quickly as we've seen with several others in the last 10 years or, or so so i think the pressure's right on him
2: the media yeah. are such vultures as well where they sense oh. there's like you get an acrimonious coach and the media just go
0: and then that's often triggers
1: it like you don't often hear of a coach getting sacked out of the blue. Ex- ex-
2: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, no, but yeah, the media drives it. And then, you know, there's pressure each week because it builds and builds and you don't, you have one bad week after another and it's gone. I think he is under the most pressure. I think Adam Simpson isn't expected to win many games. I think he's still likely to lose his job. Maybe. I think I don't know if there's pressure there because most of the media assumes they're going to lose. I don't know; it just doesn't feel like there's the same pressure to perform that um, the Bulldogs and Beverage have.
0: But West yeah. Coast will be fine next year. They'll finish outside the bottom six, is my my early wow. call. I had a look at their their best twenty-two; it's still pretty solid. So um, I think their list going forwards in horrendous shape, but I think they'll be okay next year. Um, my hit or miss. Western Australia should not get night games for any sport that the East Coast cares about. I think
2: it's got to be
0: here.
2: And I'd love to know what a sport that the East Coast doesn't care about looks like. But...
0: Like a like a, a a night like Frio Gold Coast game. You can have that. What yeah. about the
1: West? The Western Derby <laughs> as well. Like that that warrants like a, a night game. Yeah, I agree.
2: Uh, I think any Australian national team, uh, it's a hit. They just just play it at Twilight. Like It's fine. It's a great spectacle over there as well. The ground looks incredible at Twilight. And we don't have to be here at 2am watching Stoiners <laughs> hit the winning runs. It's just, yeah, it's got to be a no-brainer, Hamish. That's a hit.
1: Yeah, I think it's a hit for me as well. The, the fascinating thing was there was talk about a bad crowd there last night. And um, particularly Daniel Cherney tweeted about it. And then the comments just went off, you know, because he was saying typical WA, like no cricket for years. And then they have a home T20 World Cup game and no one turns up. Then all the WA fans go off saying, you know, it's a Tuesday night against Sri Lanka, tickets are $100. And that it's too late and that they won't get home till 11 o'clock. So if the locals are complaining it's too late, then... How How is it a good solution? There's talk that it opens the games up to the rest of the world, but who else? Like, it doesn't open the games up to Sri Lankan fans because I don't think the time difference is too bad in Sri Lanka. Um, so if you want to have England games there, which they have done, the first game against Afghanistan, then absolutely do that. But an Australia game, no, no way. And if you want to play an Australia game there, which you should, play it on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday twilight game, save that game for later and have an evening game in, in Sydney or Brisbane.
0: I guess the, the easiest solution would just not to give WA any cricket going forward and um, expect that to be implemented. soon. <laughs> Shout out to our West Australian fans. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Can't fault the logic there. All right, I got an interesting one. We'll pick up where we left off air, I guess, with this one, boys. My hit or miss is that Coley's innings against Pakistan the other night was the best international knock since Stokes at Headingley in 2019. Hit or miss?
0: For me, I think it's a hit. Um, we discussed many innings. Rishabh Pants at the, the gabbers right up there. Um, we've seen some, some good hundreds since Stokes' innings at, at Headingley, but I don't think we've seen something on the... The scale of the drama of Coley, um, the stakes as high as in that that game, and just the whole world watching as well. Um, I I low key think Stokes's innings at Headingley wasn't even the best innings that year. I think Kusal, um, Pereira's innings against South Africa about two months before, 153 not away in South Africa to win a Test series um, when you're 100 runs away with the last wicket in hand is and dale saying a name more bowling is pretty pretty ridiculous was as it well. to
2: win the series i thought it was just to win the test
0: i'm pretty sure it was to win the series okay yeah wow, that's
2: so. that's good that um
0: but um yeah the the master is back in terms of Kali. i'm not sure how, how much more we'll get to see of that kind of inning because as we like to say he's closer to the end of his career than the start we wouldn't want to fortune any, any retirement in the near the near future um but yeah it's hard to argue against
1: yeah um i i can't think of a greater one i'm sure the fans will let us know how wrong we are but i think it's a <laughs> i think it's a hit for me it seems strange that for me at a t20 in, uh, innings can have such an impact on me but it did and it was the moment and the context which in sport context is arguably the most important thing um i think hamish mentioned if he did it on a tuesday night in uae no one would care too much in australia but he didn't he did it on a sunday night in front of nine thousand people at the mcg in a world cup in a game that could decide whether or not they go through to the semifinals in the end um it was an amazing knock some of the shots he played and the way he set it up just all-round class batting um, and proved himself once again as one of the greatest of all time.
2: Yeah, 100%. I think the point you made, Hamish, about just the the context and the rivalry, the importance of the match, that adds to it. Like, you know, obviously just sheer technical brilliance is one thing, but everything else that was going on, the significance, the biggest of stages to stand up and do it, uh Absolutely incredible. I think I, I probably could have done this as a hit or miss, but I, I saw on Twitter a bit of a debate ongoing about whether India, Pakistan is a better cricketing rivalry than the ashes. Might get your two cents on that before we roll along.
0: Oh, uh, no. Um, I think, unfortunately, if you don't play test cricket, you're not going to be able to have a stronger rivalry as, as nations yeah. who can. It's as simple, it's as, simple as that. As that. <laughs> yeah. There's my Anglo view. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Hugo, agree.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I think um, it's got more potential in the future than the Ashes does. I don't think the Ashes is going to get any better. Um, yeah, you build history, but um, India Pakistan will just build and build with the fans getting more one sided and more patriotic.
2: I okay. agree. Right. Well, while you've got the vocal cords loose, Hugo, why don't you run us through our uh, our favorite segment on this day, on this week.
1: Yes, so this goes back all the way to 2018, so four years <laughs>
0: ago.
1: <laughs> the, the longest baseball World Series game by both innings and time, so the LA Dodgers ended up beating the, the Houston Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, 3-2 in the 18th inning. So that's seven hours and 20 minutes in game three at Dodgers Stadium. Max Muncy ended up walking it off with a home run, Um, I imagine it would have been 3, 4 a.m. probably. There would have been a game later that day, undoubtedly. Maybe there was a day off, but unbelievable. And um, the baseball playoffs are just so exciting and and such good atmosphere around it. So a big one there. Did the crowd stay
2: till 3 a.m.?
1: Most of the time they do. Wow. Get your family's leaving. But for these playoff games, you saw so the Seattle... Uh, Houston game earlier this year that went to the 18th as well, Hamish. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. The whole crowd was still there, as far as you can tell. Um, and again, it's it's 2am. Um, there's a famous one, uh, Red Sox Yankees that the uh, Red Sox extended it out, and I think they ended up coming back from three nil down. And um, I think Ortiz walked it off, and he says. We'll see you later tonight. Um, you yeah, know, the Red Sox are coming back, that type of thing. And it's just um, these <laughs> it's like cricket, but arguably better with these playoff games. Um that's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I did I did we have this database where I've compiled all the great sporting moments and memories in history for the beginning this day on this week segment. And I did peruse it heavily for the 26th of October and only four years ago, could I come up with a really interesting one? There you go. Yeah. It's a quiet day in the sporting. It's a world. quiet day. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. <laughs> should we finish off with some upcoming events? Uh, yeah, let look forward to later forward. This week.
1: Let's look forward, not backwards, um, to. Starting with the cricketing world, with the major event, of course, being the T20 World Cup. Got a couple of big fixtures coming up. South Africa play Bangladesh. Netherlands play India, Pakistan, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, Ireland, and then France. All the big
2: ones. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Strap yourselves in. I, I'm kind of keen for the um, South Africa-Bangladesh game. I think Bangladesh is a, is a major chance there. Um, and then Friday night, we've got Australia-England. So that's a huge game for Australia um, and England, but either team more likely than not to go through to the semifinals um, and really sets up the rest of their tournament. Elsewhere, we've got the continuation of the women's Big Bash as well as the Sheffield and Marsh Shields for cricket. Um, Hamish, what about the soccer? Any big clashes this weekend?
0: We have Champions League action continuing tomorrow, as I highlighted off the top. For the big Premier League games this weekend, we've got Manchester City and Leicester in the Asian time slot. So it's 10.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Daylight Time. And we've also got Brighton and Chelsea in Graham Potter's return um, to his his former hunting home. So that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on as well.
2: Love it. All right. Not too much going on in my sports. There is round 10, of course, of the AFLW. But to fill out the segment, I thought I'd just alert listeners to a new golfing event that has just been... Announced or may not have just been announced, but certainly it's just popped up on my radar. Um, it's for the fifth and sixth of December in Melbourne, a two-day invitational event being played at Cathedral Lodge Golf Club. Uh, for those who don't know of Cathedral Lodge, it's a privately owned golf club, um, a few hours out of Victoria, and it's incredible. Um, it, it's absolutely stunning to look at incredibly exclusive, but for the first time, I think since it's opening, it's going to be fully open to the public. So Hamish, should be able to tell me how long's the car trip down to Cathedral Lodge.
0: Yeah. A few hours for me. I'll see you there, okay. Ben, on the first yeah. tee. My, yeah. my mail arrived early today.
2: Incredible. So yeah, a couple of hours, get in the car, um, reports that Adam Scott will be playing. Fox sports has signed up to broadcast the event the um the owner of Cathedral Lodge, uh, David Evans, has said he's inspired by Augusta National and the Masters for this tournament. You know, have a have a great golf course that's a fair way away from a major city. But as the saying goes, "Build it and they'll come." So hopefully they do come. I'm certainly going to be there, and uh, I think it should be an incredible spectacle on what I'm I'm assuming is going to be an unbelievable golf course for championship golf.
0: Nice one, Ben. All right, boys. Time to finish off with some. Some bowl predictions for the week ahead. Uh, mine is, as Hugo forecasted off the top, Mark War and others have commented, I think Pat Cummins is going to get dropped for this do-or-die clash against England for, for Cam Green or potentially Adam Zampa, but I think Cummins is out. Not sure whether it's the right move against England. You need all the best bowlers you got, but I think it's going to happen.
1: All right, mine. I actually like that, I Um, I... I think it's going to happen. If Australia beats England, I think it's a good chance to happen at least some stage of the World Cup. Um,
0: oh, also, um, I'm two from two. I said New Zealand were going to roll us last week, yeah. and they yeah, did. It's nice. um, so a fun trick. You want to yeah. give us a,
1: a a tip for this these games coming up? No,
0: no. I only bold predict when I know I'm right, Hugo.
1: <laughs> um,
0: only right, bold mine, predict is bit...
2: the best verb ever. <laughs> Dispense with all adverts.
1: (laughs) Bold predict. Um, I'm going to bold predict that um, in a sport we haven't touched on, despite huge um, games recently in the NBA, I think, or actually not in the NBA, in in the world of basketball, Jock Landale and the Australian Boomers will win gold at Paris Olympics. Landau will lead Australia to goal. <laughs> yeah,
0: go, what's this? <laughs> Where's that? 2024? You can't pull out these from nowhere. <laughs> we can't hold you to account for.
1: Why? Why? Like... I think he's been playing. He's, he's played an amazing oh start. God. Had an amazing start to the season. And I think he's going to be key for Australia. And um, I reckon US are just going to take the piss out of it again. And I think boomers are a good chance. So why not? Hey, she See said, you next why? year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, i
2: guess we'll write that down set a, <laughs> set a timer on your phone for paris 2024 and we'll hold you to go to account on that one um oh gee I, what am i gonna say i i do think we're gonna beat england uh where's it being played sorry is it at the g melbourne yeah yeah oh i think we'll beat england in front of a 60 plus thousand crowd okay. i like it
1: i've got actually i've got a better one I think that crowds are going to be. I think I think crowds are going to be a major discussion point for the next two years of Test cricket in Australia. I think they're going to be dramatically. I don't think we we don't play India next summer, do we? We talked about this recently. Um, I think it's going to be a big discussion point.
2: Yeah, it's not far away from being one already. To be honest, yeah. like there's no chance we'll get for Boxing Day what we what India Pakistan T20 got, yeah. which is a crazy thought, really. But yeah, that is that is something that Cricket Australia are going to have to seriously turn their minds to. I agree. Very good. All right, that's everything. Very well done, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone strap yourselves in. You <laughs> we're going. I live. Um, very good. Very interesting week of sport and it's been a pleasure to recap it with you both and look forward to doing the same next week. Obviously heaps more action coming out of the T20 World Cup. So we'll be bringing that to you. AFLW, you name it. So stay tuned, uh, keep your eyes out for the socials and uh, we'll be with you shortly. Take care.